Grace and mercy and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Two words that summarize the message of Jesus are these. Come and go. It's the title of my message tonight. First you come, then you go. How do I mean? Well, to those who are hurting, to the confused, to the lost, the broken, those who are fearful, to the frustrated, to the guilty, to the depressed, Jesus says, come, come. And to those of us who have been saved, who have believed in his love, have been relieved by his power working within, touched by the Holy Spirit, started to have our lives transformed, changed, turned upside down for the better. Jesus says to us, go. Yeah, the verb changes. First you come, and then you go. Words, personally, that I am constantly going back to for myself are found in Matthew chapter 11. I constantly come back to this. Part of my prayer life, all the, several times a week. Jesus says, there, come. Come to me, all who are tired and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take the yoke I give you. Put it on your shoulders and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Now, do you know what a yoke is? I don't mean like an egg. A yoke, a yoke. A yoke is this big wooden bar with two head holes formed in it that you use to put two oxen together so that their load uh, is lightened. Instead of one ox pulling the whole wagon, two can now share it. Jesus says, come, yoke up with me, partner with me, and I'll help you carry your load. I am, he says, much, much bigger than you, and the weight will be on my shoulders. So if you're under stress right now, Jesus says to you, come, come unto me. Come unto him tonight, tonight. But then, once you're resting by faith in him, once again, once you're you know, part of God's family, once your life has been healed, made whole, helped, your life has been changed, God changes the verb. And he says to you and me, go. Like in Luke 7 verse 50, Jesus assures this very troubled woman there that her sins are forgiven, that she's totally loved by God. And then he says, your faith has saved you. Now, go. In James 2.17, the Bible says, any faith that does not lead us to go into action with good deeds is dead and useless. That's the pattern. We come to Jesus, finding salvation and relief and new power in him, and then we go with Jesus, doing witness and mercy and life together. God is in the business of, of inviting people to come and telling them to go. Let's look again at the gospel reading we had this evening from Luke chapter 14. Jesus tells the story of, I'm quoting now, a man who gave a great banquet and invited many. Now it helps to understand, this is a parable that Jesus told, and it helps to understand that throughout the New Testament, the image of a great banquet is used as a kind of a, a metaphor for the place 
where God meets with and addresses our deepest needs, where he helps us. Whether it is at the Lord's Supper, described in the Gospels and celebrated ever since, or it's at the marriage supper of the Lamb, described in the book of Revelation, and there's other examples, but the imagery of great banquets, a banquet given by God, it symbolizes God's heart-throbbing desire to accomplish three vital transformations in our hearts. He wants us to come to his banquet so he can do three wonderful things in our hearts. First, the great banquet symbolizes God's desire to bring us into intimate relationship with him. God is not content with being someone we've simply heard about, someone we've simply talked about, or someone we've just considered from a relational distance. Revelation 3.20, the Lord Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. This is intimacy. And it says, and eat with him, and he with me. Eating together always means intimacy in the Bible. God wants to be the intimate presence who sits with us at the table of life, sharing the amazing gift of himself, fellowship with himself, sharing that with us. But there's more that the banquet means. Secondly, the banquet symbolizes God's desire to fill us. Whoever went to a banquet, whoever went to a banquet and starved, it's like just the opposite problem, right? You think, oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to diet after this. But you know, and, and, and he knows that. His desire to fill us. But to fill us with what? God wants to fill us with his life-renewing power. Power. God longs to be the living water, to be the very bread of life from which we derive supernatural strength for living. He wants to be the eternal vine from which, like branches in a vine, we draw power needed to branch out and bear the fruit of his spirit. The heart of God throbs to have you sit and sup so deeply and so daily of his truth and of his grace toward you and of his presence with you that you become invincible before any of the temptations and trials that assault you. He wants to feed you. Frankly, it's the power of the, with the power of the resurrection, that, he makes that available to us. The same power that raised Jesus. He says, I want to fill you with a power like that. That comes from me, so that you're able to rise above the gravity of all that tries to drag you down. Finally, the great banquet symbolizes great God's desire to do this. Reorient our hearts. Reorient them. To what? To the purposes of his kingdom. My friends, you and I were made for an infinitely more beautiful and important purpose than this world sells us. You know, is the earth supposed to be exploited? No. We were made to be wise stewards of this planet's resources because they belong to the king and we'd be involved in that purpose. Are we to work like slaves and lead other people to do the same? No. We were made to shape a world where hard work is balanced with rest. We're not slaves. We're not machines. People made in God's image. Is the world to be one that favors the powerful and favors the perfect? No. Rather, it's to be a world where the vulnerable are protected 
It's, it's to be a world where one, which is rich in mercy, rich in healing, rich in help. What about meaninglessness? Is it okay that many, many, many millions of people experience a futile, godless existence, final ending, finally ending forever in the cold, cold grave? No, that's not okay. Because there's a God of grace, there's a God of life and forgiveness who has acted powerfully to save the world through his Son. And we're to witness, to witness about him so that others may know him, so that others may have faith, hope, and new life in him. And love. See, we're not just to live in an individualistic kind of way. But we're to, there's a place for individualism, but we're to balance that with communal responsibility, with rich relationships, with life together. Mercy, witness, life together. It summarizes all that I'm saying here. It summarizes what Jesus is doing and saying. But why these things particularly? Because it's how the king lives. You and I were made to build families and businesses, communities and societies that show compassion, show forgiveness and faith to one another and which call forth the best in each other. Why? Because this is what the king does. But too often today, human beings content themselves with erecting chicken coops on the foundation made for skyscrapers. Brothers and sisters, we were put here to build the city of God, a kingdom that reflects every aspect of the heart of Jesus Christ. And he will empower us. So, the great banquet, in summary, is a metaphor for that real engagement with God that enables our hearts to find full potential the great banquet is the life that followers of Jesus enter into right now and will keep experiencing in eternal abundance when Christ returns to make everything new. It signifies the kingdom relationship, the kingdom power, and the kingdom purposes for which our hearts have been made. Here's the question. Do you understand that you have been invited to come to this banquet. If so, listen as Jesus continues the parable. At the time for the banquet, we read in the scriptures, the man sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, come, for everything's now ready. Now just hit pause there for a moment and let's take in what is going on in this story so far. God the Father is the man in this story. He prepares a great banquet at which the ultimate relationship, power, and purpose will be given to any heart that comes to him. He doesn't just invite the A-list either. He invites many guests, the Bible says. He wants this banquet to be huge, a blessing to everyone. And so he sends his own son, Jesus, who is the servant in this story, to go tell all the invitees that the banquet's ready, come! All you have to do now is come. And what happens? Well, what would you expect to happen? Everybody lays down what they're doing. They text and Twitter and telephone their neighbors saying, see you at the banquet. I mean, who would want to miss this chance? But as you heard, of course, that's not actually what happens. 
The Bible says, they all alike began to make excuses. How do you explain this? Why would anybody ever turn down an invitation like this? Well, several reasons are touched on in Luke 14. The first said, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. In other words, I'm working on my own purposes. I'm building my own kingdom here, so I cannot come to the king's banquet. Another said, I have bought five yoke of, now we know what yoke means. I have bought five yoke of oxen. That would be ten oxen altogether. I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. In simplest terms, he's saying, I've got another power to push and pull my life, so I think I'll just try that a bit longer. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. In other words, I've got a more immediately gratifying relationship than the master offers. So thanks, but no thanks. Can't make it today. Please notice that nobody here is rude about this. In each case, the response is politely tendered. The invitee say, please, and excuse me. You get the sense there's a part of them that is sorry they can't go. You get the feeling that under different circumstances, each of them would have liked to take the Lord up on his offer. They can see something of values going on, but it's not enough to fully move them. They're not ready to go all in. They're not of a mind to dare with their faith. Not when they've got other purposes, other power sources, other relationships to supply their hearts. If ever there was a parable that speaks to the condition of many in America today, I think it's this one. Study after study confirms that at least in terms of what people who get interviewed say, we Americans like very much the idea of God. We like the idea that there's a, that there's a spiritual relationship possible with him. That there's a spiritual power available to us. We like that there's a God-given purpose that can direct us. We genuinely like the idea that God invites us. However, that doesn't necessarily translate into us showing up and supping with God at his big table. Ruth Hannah Metzger, a professional singer, tells a story about getting an invitation. Several years ago, she was asked to sing at the wedding of a very wealthy man. According to the invitation, the reception which followed would be held on the top two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, the Northwest's tallest skyscraper. She and her husband Roy were excited about attending. At the reception, waiters in tuxedos offered luscious hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages. The bride and groom then approached the, a beautiful glass and brass staircase that led up to the, you know, one floor, to the top floor. Okay? Someone ceremoniously cut a satin ribbon that was draped across the bottom of those stairs, and they announced the wedding feast was about to begin. Bride and groom ascended the stairs, followed by their guests. At the top of the stairs, a maitre d' 
with a bound book, greeted the guests outside the doors. May I have your name, please? I am Ruthanna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. He searched the M's. I'm not finding it. Would you spell it, please? Ruthanna spelled her name slowly. After searching the book, the maitre d' looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name isn't here. There must be some mistake, Ruthanna replied. I'm the singer. I sang for this wedding. The gentleman answered, It doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend the banquet. He motioned to a waiter and said, Show these people the service elevator, please. The Metzgers followed the waiter past beautifully decorated tables laden with shrimp, whole smoked salmon, and magnificent carved ice sculptures. Adjacent to the banquet area, an, an orchestra was preparing to perform. The musicians all dressed in dazzling white tuxedos. The waiter led Ruthanna and Roy to the service elevator, ushered them in, and pushed G for the parking garage. <laughs> After locating their car, and driving several miles in silence, Roy reached over and put his hand on Ruthanna's arm. Sweetheart, what happened? When the invitation arrived, I was busy, Ruthanna replied. I never bothered to RSVP. Besides, I was the wedding singer. Surely I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. Ruthanna started to weep. Not only because she had missed the most lavish banquet she'd ever been invited to, but also because she, also, she suddenly had a small taste of what it will be like someday for people to realize that they've missed out on God's invitation, that they've missed out on what life's about because they did not take him seriously. Jesus has invited you to his great banquet, its relationship, its power, its purpose. The first thing for you and I to do is come. And then what happens? And then you go. First you come, and then you go. To those of us who have come to Jesus by faith, have been saved, have believed in his love, been relieved by his spirit working within, started to have our lives transformed, filled with hope for eternity. To us, Jesus says, go. The verb changes. First you come, and then you go. What did the master in Jesus' story tell his servant to do? Here are the words. Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out. Go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in for, that my house may be filled. Now Jesus himself, as I mentioned, was God's servant who went out inviting people to come into God's banquet. And now we who have tasted of that banquet, we join with Jesus. And we ourselves become servants of God, joining with Jesus in going out, doing mercy, giving witness, and inviting, inviting, inviting into life together with God. So then here's the question. 
Have you been to the banquet of God's amazing grace? Are you then a child of God? Are you a servant of God? Then you've got a job description. If all that's true, then you've got a job description. And it's go. Go and show about Jesus' love. That's called mercy. You know, helping people who need help. Go and tell about Jesus' love. That's called witness. And especially go and invite. Invite who? The master in Jesus' story had his servants go and invite everyone to come. That's what we're about here at St. James Lutheran Church. We're not only about going to church, but about being servants who go with Jesus to the streets and the lanes, going and inviting others, everyone. How do we do that? By doing mercy, by giving witness, and by living out life together. Will you go? This week, we heard that our dear sister, who has been leading and organizing us at the food pantry for years, is not going to be able to continue. The Smithtown Food Pantry is such an important mercy ministry. Will you go? And if you cannot be her replacement, with your prayers and with your offerings, in that way, will you do what God commands? The Alpha Course is a wonderful witness ministry where people come, this is how it works, they come for a lovely dinner, they hear a great after-dinner presentation about Jesus, and then they get to discuss it all at their tables over dessert. And then they come back the next week. And this goes on for eight to ten consecutive weeks. It's life together and it's witness all in one. Well, right now we have a course being hosted in somebody's house. We, and we think this is the way to go. With lots more we're praying for in the future. It would be like about a dozen people taking an Alpha course, led by a small team of course, but hosted in someone's home. It's so welcoming, and it's so loving and warm when you do it that way. It's like going to God's own banquet. Well, someone's doing it now, but would you offer your home to host an Alpha course? Or would you be a cook for it? Or a table small group leader? Will you give invitations? And if you cannot do those things at this time, with your prayers and with your offerings, will you be part of the work that God has given to St. James Lutheran? And life together, our, our, our life together, can you help there? Can you help there? Can you help with our buildings? Always an amazing amount of work when you have buildings. Maybe you've got some skills or a strong back. In worship, can you sing or play the guitar? Can you lead? and serve coffee and food in the St. James Cafe. It's just amazing the difference it makes when these things, and many, many others I haven't got time to name, when they actually get done. Can you invite people you know to come to church? Literally go out and invite them to come. And if you're not able to serve directly at this time, can you serve indirectly but very effectively with your prayers and with your offerings? Come. Come to Jesus. And go. Go with Jesus.
The Lord God invites all of us to come to him to be strengthened, to be forgiven, to be refreshed because he loves us. And he's commanded and provided ways for all of us to go, to go and serve the people around us because God also loves them. First you come and then you go. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus for life everlasting. Amen.